grateful that we can continue to walk with Jesus this season as we continue in the series on the seven last words. Today we come to this last word where Jesus says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. You know, the question that I believe this word poses to us is this. Friends, what do we entrust our lives to? What do we place our ultimate hope in? It's such a a central question for us to reflect on. Jesus here again is reflecting on the Psalms. This is a quote from Psalm 31. In Psalm 31, David is facing deep distress and in the face of these circumstances, calls upon God. But this psalm sets a contrast between two sources of hope that we can turn to when we are in distress. And so we read in Psalm 31, 5 through 6, Into your hands I commit my spirit. Redeem me, O Lord, the God of truth. I hate those who cling to worthless idols. I trust in the Lord. Can you see the contrast here in this text between calling upon God and trusting in him versus clinging to worthless idols? In the face of trial and hardship, we do need to turn to something for some hope and some relief. And and David notices this human tendency to cling or hold on to some things that actually let us down, things that we can't truly entrust our lives to. I want to begin by exploring and naming some of those idols that we perhaps turn to that have, in fact, let us down, that we can't really fully entrust our lives to. Now, idolatry is a bit of an ancient word, a word that might seem inaccessible to modern ears. It evokes images of bowing down to gold statues and so on, but I I want to suggest to you that idolatry is very much alive and well in the modern Western world. And in fact, the the scriptures teach that idolatry is not so much a physical image as as something that we build in our own hearts. In Ezekiel 14, the prophet speaks about how the people build idols in their heart. Paul speaks about some of the more subtle idols in our lives. He speaks of greed and money as an example of something we trust in, put our hope in. A definition that I found helpful comes from Timothy Keller about idolatry. He says, what is idolatry? It is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. We can make a lot of things into idols. And in fact, Idols aren't necessarily in and of themselves evil things or bad things. Sometimes they're actually very good things. Good things can make the best idols because they promise something to us. The problem is when a good thing becomes an ultimate thing. Financial stability can be a good thing. But we cross that line into idolatry when it becomes an ultimate thing. This is what I live for. This is what gives me joy. This is what I trust for my security. Relationships are good things, gifts from God, but they cross that line into an ultimate thing. When I put all my hope in another person, or I put all my hope in my kids and their success, that's what will give me meaning or purpose. When a good thing becomes an ultimate thing. 
The question I, I pose to you today, friends, is what are some of those idols that have come up short for you? Are there things that you have entrusted your life into that have let you down? Are you clinging to some idols that, at the end of the day, are going to come up short, be worthless? As I think about this crucifixion scene, we see that all the usual idols we turn to have come up short for Jesus. Everything has been stripped away. Everything has let Jesus down. Political leaders have let Jesus down. He could not entrust his life into the hands of Pilate. No, Pilate washed his hands of Jesus, gave in to the fickleness of this crowd, and with great injustice, sentenced Jesus to die. Jesus' own friends and disciples have let him down. Peter, his go-to disciple, the rock on which he would build the church, proved to be as unstable as quicksand. He promised to be with Jesus to the end, and yet, under pressure, denied him three times. The religious establishment has let Jesus down. The people that should have been most attuned to the coming Messiah misinterpreted his coming. They were more concerned about their own well-being, their own power, and being faithful to what Jesus was all about. Achievement and success seems empty now as Jesus hangs upon a cross, mocked, scorned. The mission seems compromised. And Jesus' own physical strength, his own ability is now drained from him as he now gives up his spirit. Can we see how the idols of our lives prove worthless for Jesus? when he is in most in need. And perhaps that is where you find yourself coming today, that some of the things you've entrusted your life to have let you down, have let you down. Have you entrusted your life into wealth only to find yourself in a perpetual sense of discontent? Or have some of those things that you thought would bring you joy and stability seemed much more unstable due to unforeseen circumstances. Perhaps people have let you down. Our world seems to put a lot of trust in romantic love. That's the, the ending to every romantic comedy and every pop song. If only I could find the right person, I would be saved. And yet I wonder if that has come up short for you, if you have been disappointed or hurt or let down by others. Have political leaders let you down, not lived up to the promises that they made? Have you found yourself clinging to some idols that have proved of less worth than they promised? If that's where you come today, can I suggest that you are actually in a good place? For our ability to let go of some of these idols requires us to actually expose some of their limitations. In all the great old fairy tales, there are moments where the spell of the evil sorcerer is broken, and there's a disenchantment that allows people to escape its grip. <laughs> I was thinking of the story of uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, C.S. Lewis's famous uh, story in the Narnia series. We see Eustace early on in the story entrust his life to 
the evil witch, right? She promises protection, prestige, power, and Turkish delight. <laughs> and so he, he goes all in. He sells his soul to this evil witch. And yet there's a moment in the story, right, where there's uh, some disenchantment with her, and he realizes that he's made a terrible mistake and realizes that this is actually the wrong path. Now, when there is disenchantment, there is an opportunity for escape. And maybe some of us are a little disenchanted with some of the things we've entrusted our, our life to. Could we see the opportunity in ench- disenchantment? The opportunity for us to escape and look elsewhere for a different source to entrust our lives to. I wonder if we've experienced some disenchantment. You know, this is why Jesus says some really audacious things in the Gospels. He says things like, blessed are you who are poor in spirit. And why would he say something like that? <laughs> blessed are you who have been brokenhearted, who are mourning, who are hungering and thirsting for something more. Why? Because you are now open and receptive to God coming into your life. For those who are poor in spirit, blessed are you, for there is room now for the kingdom of God to break in, for a new king to reign in your heart. For those who are mourning, there is space now to be comforted by the true comforter. For those who are hungering and thirsting, there is an openness to be filled to the full measure of God. Can I encourage those of you who are discouraged today? Jesus says earlier in the Gospel of Luke, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. I was thinking uh, this week of a man named Jerry Sitzer, and he wrote a book a number of years ago that is a memoir of his spiritual journey after the tragic loss of his family. And Jerry Sitzer is a, was a theological professor and pastor and had this tragic experience where his uh, wife and daughters were lost to a, a drunk driver in an accident. And he, he wrote this book called A Grace Disguised, How the Soul Grows Through Loss, a book that I would commend to those of you who are wrestling with grief and loss. It is a book that is void of cliche and trivial answers, quick bow ties on deep pain. Sitzer even speaks in this book about how he never fully recovers from pain. It is instead just worked into the soil of a soul, integrated into a more whole person that he's become. He does not treat your pain trivially. But in this book, he discovers uh, how God works through these seasons of suffering, how through the loss of life there is possibility for new life, that this is not the end of his story. It's really a modern-day parable of the Beatitudes coming to life, and at one point in the book he writes this, he says, but in coming to the end of ourselves, we can also come to the beginning of a vital relationship with God. Our failures and losses can lead us to grace and to a profound spiritual awakening. I don't know if you've been let down by some idols that have come up short for you, but could we be open to the opportunity that is in store for those of us who are poor in spirit? 
For just as Jesus died on the cross, he committed his spirit into the hands of God. He discovered a different source of hope, a deeper thing that he could trust his life to. And my prayer is that God would just speak through his word today, rebuilding some of that trust and hope in our hearts, that we might leave today with a renewed capacity to entrust our spirit into the hands of God. To do that, though, I I wonder if there's maybe some healing that needs to happen in our image of God. I think the reason that we cling to worthless idols is that we're maybe not quite so sure that we can entrust our life into the hands of God. I actually think idolatry is a symptom of a spiritual anxiety or a spiritual distrust in God. We turn elsewhere because we're not quite sure that we can entrust our life to God. I was thinking of a story that Trevor Hudson told me. Trevor Hudson was a professor of mine at Fuller, really gifted uh, spiritual director and pastoral counselor. He told the story of a lady who came to him for counseling, and she had been going through a lot of suffering and, and difficulty. And near the end of her session, she wanted to tie it up, and she didn't really want to face the, the reality of pain, and she said, you know, it's okay, though, because it's all in the hands of God. But being the perceptive listener and counselor that he was, Trevor Hudson noticed a subtle distrust in that comment, and he asked a profound question, and he said, and tell me what those hands are like. Tell me what those hands are like. To which she broke down and simply acknowledged that she wasn't fully sure if she could entrust her life to God that there was some uh, rebuilding of trust that was needed and that she slowly worked through in her process. But friends, the reality is that through suffering, sometimes we, we have these questions. Can I entrust my life into God's hands? What are those hands like? Through the pain of life, sometimes our image of God has been twisted or distorted, or sometimes through uh, bad theology and teaching, we, we have a picture of the hands of God that are actually not reflective of what Jesus wants to communicate to us. Could we maybe allow God to heal that picture, that image, rebuild that trust today? You know, I actually think that's what Palm Sunday is all about. This might sound weird coming from a pastor, but I've always found Palm Sunday a bit weird. Uh, because what we're doing is we're, we're actually aligning ourselves and reenacting a scene of a group of worshipers that are missing the point. Right? <laughs> and so we're waving palm branches and we're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. But we know the story, right? So this group that uh, begins the week yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna, changes their tune midway through the week. And the cry shifts from Hosanna, Hosanna to crucify him, crucify him. We are aligning ourselves with a group of worshipers that are missing the point. But the more I think about it, I I was thinking that this is actually appropriate for us to do. Because like these first worshipers, I sometimes think that we have a a misunderstanding. We sometimes misunderstand who God is. Maybe Palm Sunday is an annual corporate confession where we acknowledge that sometimes we miss who you are, God. And we, we impose our own image, our own vision, our own picture of God onto you, but you are so much bigger and so much more different, and you are bringing a different kingdom. Like these first worshipers, sometimes we are disappointed. 
when God doesn't act the way we hope he was, hope, hope he would. We expect a, a more quick fix to our problems, and we're surprised when God leads us on a path towards suffering and struggle. He doesn't just tie it all up and fix it. Can we just align ourselves with that and acknowledge this Palm Sunday that maybe God wants to heal our image of God, reframe what it really means to entrust our hands into this Messiah? And so I've been thinking this week, what, are, what does the Bible teach us about the hands of God? What does the Scripture reveal about these hands to which we are called to entrust our lives? I pray the Spirit might do some healing work through these living words, uh, restoring our, our picture of the trustworthiness of God. And so there's some things I noticed, and this isn't an exhaustive list, but I was deeply moved as I just reflected on all these passages that speak about the hands of God, and I, I noticed a few things. We notice, first and foremost, that the hands of God are, are hands that have created this world. We entrust our lives into the hands of a creator God, a God whom the scriptures say uh, laid the foundations of the earth, my right hand that spread out the heavens above. Perhaps that might be a trust-building thing for us to reflect on again today. We take creation and life so for granted. Can we remember, though, the miracle of this, that we have a God who out of nothing called this into existence, whose hands set the foundations of this earth and spread out the stars in the sky? These are strong hands. These are intentional creator hands. Hands that created the earth and yet also hands that knitted you together in your mother's womb that brought you into being out of nothing. Can we meditate on the miracle of that today? Is that perhaps trust building for us? We entrust our lives into the hands of a provider. In Psalm 104, uh, we read these texts. I don't know if that's moving. Yeah. We read this in Psalm 104. Is that coming up? Let me pull that back. There we go. All, cre- all creatures look to you. There we go. <laughs> to give them their food at the proper time. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. Perhaps we might reflect on the way God has been a source of provision in your life. Could that be a trust-building thing? We have such a scarcity mindset of t- at times we notice what isn't right. Perhaps we might pause today and just notice the way that God has provided for your needs, has sustained you through your life, a God whose hands provide. As we continue in scriptures, we notice uh, a God whose hands promise protection for us. I was thinking of uh, this passage in Isaiah 41. I will strengthen you, the Lord says. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. We entrust our lives into this shepherd God that though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, his hands hold the rod and staff that comfort us. Now what we do notice in the scriptures that I think is an important reframe for us is that we will walk through dark valleys. 
And the scriptures do not promise that we will be free from all harm, but they do promise us that there is a God who is with us, that we will never face irredeemable harm. Kate Bowler is a historical theologian uh, over at Duke, and she wrote a book called Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Been Told. And... um, and she's done a lot of work with the prosperity gospel movement and uh, writes just a memoir, both as a theologian and also as a cancer survivor, about the deep danger that this distortion of the gospel has wrought on our world and on our church. I think one of the things that needs to be healed or reframed for us is this idea that if I give my life to Jesus, I will never face pain. I should expect BMWs and mansions, right? And there's this distortion that, that ironically places those that God brings to the center of the kingdom on the margins, and those who suffer and face pain are excluded by this gospel. Now, something that uh, Kate Bowler reflects on that was convicting to me is that she says there's a more subtle prosperity gospel that's actually at work in most of our hearts. Now, it's easy to expose the extremes, right, the po- prosperity preachers that are so off the charts. But in her own experience, she said that secretly, I did kind of want that gospel to be true because I didn't want to suffer. And I think we do have, I think, this subtle hope that, you know, if we follow Jesus, we won't walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But does God want to expand our vision of a God, a God that's big enough to make sense of suffering? A God that acknowledges we in this world, we will face trouble, but that we can take heart that God is with us, that his hands will uphold us, will protect us as we navigate these difficult spaces. Can we entrust our heart into a God who promises to uphold us? The scriptures speak of the hands of God being powerful hands, hands that can deliver us from the forces of evil that we battle from the temptations that seem overwhelming, the things that enslave us. We read this in Deuteronomy, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Does God perhaps want to lead you on an exodus this holy week from the things that seem so overwhelming? Can we entrust our lives into those hands? Can you trace that in your story? Has God proven to be of help to you as you've faced hard things in this life? Where I want to end today is in this image of Jesus' hands, which are nailed to the cross. These are compassionate hands, hands that embrace us in our weakness and in our sin. I was thinking today uh, of the, the famous parable of the, the prodigal son who turns back and receives hands of embrace, not hands of rejection, not hands that hold us at an arm's length, but hands of mercy and compassion. Do we need to have that image restored in our hearts and mind that there is a God who receives us in our not-enoughness, in our weakness, in our brokenness, Hands that ultimately were nailed to a cross to redeem us from our sin. Those are the hands to which we are called to entrust ourselves to. 
In his commentary uh, on the seven last words, Richard Newhouse draws us back to another story in the Gospel of Luke, and it's a contrast between the Pharisee and the tax collector, the contrast between someone who is clinging to the worthless idol of achievement and self-effort and someone who entrusts himself fully into the mercy of God. We recall the story that this Pharisee in pride looks at a tax collector who is praying and says, I thank God that I am not like that man. And he proceeds to talk about all his achievements in his prayer. And this is what Richard Newhouse says. He says, the Pharisee recommended himself to God by virtue of his good behavior. The tax collector made neither claim, saying simply and starkly, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Unrecommended, he commended himself to God and thus was embraced in the cry from the cross. Unrecommended, he commended his spirit into the hands of God. He committed and trusted his spirit into God's merciful hands today. Might that perhaps free us from our exhausting attempts to save ourselves by the idols of self-effort and works-based religion? Friends, I pray that this week, this Easter season, we would loosen our grip from the worthless idols that we cling to and commit our spirit into the hands of God who are ready to receive you today in mercy and strength and in grace. May it be so according to his word. Will you join me in prayer? And so, gracious God, in our own weakness as we've come to the end of ourselves, I pray that there might be an opportunity in that disenchantment with the things that have broken our heart and let us da down. Instead, Lord, I pray that we might commend, commit, and trust our lives into your hands. We thank you that you are ready to receive us again in mercy and in grace today. Would you do that healing work in our hearts as we continue in worship? Amen.